All right. Well, this morning, I want to minister to you on a subject of love. Like, love, what is it good for? The song got it wrong. It's not absolutely nothing. Love is good. You see, we live in a society today where love is ridiculously overused. The word love, and it's incredibly undervalued. You see, in today's society, we love pizza. Or we love the cowboys. I mean, you shouldn't, but some people, some people do. They're confused, but that's all right. Or, you know what, in today's society, in order to love somebody, that means that you have to accept them, stand by them, and agree with them no matter what. Because if you don't agree with me, then you don't love me. If you don't, if you don't just say that you approve of everything that I do, then that means you don't love me. And matter of fact, not only does it mean you don't love me, it means you hate me. And that's, that's what the society is. I mean, when Christians say, you know what? We don't believe in, in same-sex marriage. That's because you hate homosexuals. No, we don't hate homosexuals. We love them. We want them to be restored and redeemed. We want them to know the love of God. We don't agree with what they're doing, but how many know that you can not agree with what somebody's doing and still love them? I've been thinking about ISIS lately. I don't agree with what they're doing. They're doing some terrible things. And if they, if they don't turn their, their hearts towards God, they're storing up for themselves wrath in the day of judgment. But I love them as hard as it is because God loves them. I, remember I, heard, I once heard the, uh, a story uh, uh, about when, when the, or the Israelites came across the, the, Jordan, or the Red Sea, it was parted. And after they came across, there was rejoicing in heaven. Israel had escaped but the angels were looking around and they said, where's God? And one of the angels said, well, he's not here. He's over in the corner weeping because he just lost thousands of his children today as the, as the Egyptians were drowned. Now, obviously, that's not biblical, but it gives you an idea of those are still God's children. And it's, it's hard to love them with what they're doing, but we're called to love them. You see, God accepts us as we are, you can come to God no matter how you are right now, no matter how bad you feel like you're doing, no matter how terrible of a person you think you are, God will accept you as you are because He loves you. But the result of God's love is change. His love will spur growth and change inside of you. You see, He loves us enough to meet us where we are, but He loves us too much to leave us the way that we, we came to Him. But today, you notice I got a little exclamation mark on the end of, of love there because I don't want to talk today so much about what is love, the noun love, but this is a commandment. The Bible says to love. You need to love. And it's the greatest commandment. And I found that, that we were actually made to love. The most unhappy people, in my experience, are selfish people. They're always looking out for themselves, but they're always incredibly unhappy. But the people that express love and show love, they're just happy when they put others first. And I've found that in my life as I've been trying to make a conscious effort to love others more than I love myself. As I've been trying to make that effort, i found that, man, it is awesome to do something for somebody else. It is awesome to meet somebody's need. And then you're like, man, I've been meeting my needs this whole time and I was never satisfied. And as soon as I begin to love somebody else more than I love myself, all of a sudden you're like, this is good. This is great stuff. 
And as believers, we're commanded to love. We're to love our brethren. But it's not love like the world. But we're to love like Jesus. Love like the world is, I'll do anything for you until it inconveniences me. I'll do anything for you until it's, it makes my life a little bit harder. Then well, I've got to look out for numero uno. But Jesus laid down his life for us. How many know that that was inconvenient for Jesus? How many know that getting, getting your back ripped open with whips with bone shards on the end of them, and you're ripped open to the, to the bone, is inconvenient? But he still did it for us. That's the kind of love we need to show towards others. And as a matter of fact, the Bible says we should be known by our love. In John 13, 35, it says, By this all people will know that you are my disciples. By what? If you have love for one another. We should be known by our love. So let's go ahead and get started this morning. I actually got a lot of stuff to go through, and I'll try not to be too super long. But in Matthew 22, 36-40, it says, Teach, Teacher, and the, this is a, a Jewish lawyer talking to Jesus. He says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law. And Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbors as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Because you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now this is, a, like I said, a Jewish lawyer he's talking to jesus and and he's referring to the books of the law this is the 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 first five testament or five books in the old testament are referred to as the the pentateuch or the torah which is the the books of the law and that's genesis exodus leviticus numbers deuteronomy i'll know those books right and in those five books depending on which list you're reading there's no less than 613 commandments that's a lot of commandments I mean, you remember the, the, the rule lists in school the teacher had up? A couple sheets up there with five or ten rules on it. Could you imagine? 613, just wallpaper the whole room. But the 613 commandments, and he says, which is the greatest? And Jesus says this. He says, the first is you shall love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So the question that I would ask to us is, do we love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind? Do we love him with, with all of our heart, our innermost being? Or with our soul, which is our, our will and emotions? Do we love him with all that? In our mind, with, with all that we think? Do we love him with everything? Or is it, I usually love him with everything. But some days it's a little of God and a little of something else. And some days it's, it's God, can you hold on a minute? i got something more important to do. But the Bible says that we're supposed to love him with everything. It should spur our every action, our every decision, our every desires because we love God. And the second one is love your neighbor. He says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He says on these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Love your neighbor as yourself. You know, the funny thing is when we look at these commandments, what you'll definitely not notice is that you're not commanded to love yourself. You're commanded to love God and your neighbors. You want to know why you're not commanded to love yourself? None of us has any problems loving ourselves. We don't have to be told. And the Bible doesn't say don't love yourself. Matter of fact, it, 
it, it assumes that you do. Because he says, love your neighbor as yourself. It assumes you love yourself, and I love your neighbor like that. You know, when you get up in the morning, I bet you make sure you get dressed. Are we making sure our neighbors can get dressed? You make sure you eat breakfast. Are we making sure that our neighbors have something to eat, that they're clothed, that they're sheltered? Because we love ourselves that much that we make sure all that stuff happens. Right? So that's how we need to love others, is in that same way that we would, that we would, we would never harm ourselves. So we need to make sure that we're never harming somebody else. We're always going to make sure that we get ourselves out of harm's way. So we should make sure that we're loving our neighbors enough to keep them out of harm's way. So then we have, oh, who's our neighbor? You know, you're not the only person that have that question. They had that question in the Bible, too, when they're trying to... I want you to know, it doesn't mean the two houses next to you. Just so everyone's clear, your neighbor is not the people in your neighborhood. In Luke 10, 29-37, it says, But he, this is Jesus, <clears throat> or someone speaking to Jesus, trying to justify himself is what it says, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise a Levite. And when he came to the place, he saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. And he went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal and brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And which of these three, Jesus says to the man, do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So the interesting thing here is there's a Jewish man on the side of the road being beaten and is on the side of the road dying. And the priest comes through. And the Levite comes through. His, his Jewish brethren come through. Now these are who you think would be the neighbor, right? Your friends, your, your, your countrymen, your people that are just like you. And they pass him by. But this, this Samaritan comes by who's, who's not a Jew. He's a completely different people group. We should have nothing to do with the Jews. Matter of fact, the, the Jews push them out because they're unclean. They're, he shouldn't have anything to do with this Jew. Not related to him, not associated with him. Complete stranger. And he goes and takes care of him. He says, which is the better neighbor? And he says, well, the Samaritan, the one who doesn't know him, was not associated. I want you to know that your neighbor covers everybody. People that you don't know, not your next door, not the people that live next to you, not your friends, although it includes them as well, but even as far as people that we don't know. The people that are doing terrible things, we're still supposed to love. Those, those men and women over in Iraq that are, that are persecuting Christians, those are our neighbors, and we're supposed to love them. So then we see the most profound part of it all is that that of those 613 commandments in the Old Testament, all of them are wrapped up. The other 611 are wrapped up in these two. So basically, if you can't remember all 613 laws, remember these two. If you'll just do these two, you'll have done them all. 
So we can just take a look at, everybody knows the Ten Commandments, right? Let's take a look at a few of the Ten Commandments and see how this works. He says, you shall have no other God before me. It's one of the Ten Commandments. But if I forget that one, how can I still fulfill it? Well, if I love my God with all my heart, with all my soul and all my mind, then I'm not going to have another God. Same with, you shall not make graven images. Why would I make an image to worship when I love my God with all my heart and all my soul and all my mind? And He says, you shall not steal. Well, if you love somebody, you're not going to steal from them. If you loved your neighbor, you wouldn't steal from them. You shall not murder. You're definitely not going to murder your neighbor if you loved them. Honor your mother and father. You honor the people that you love. And we can go on and on and on. If you will just adhere to these two laws, love God and love your neighbor, you fulfill all of the law. Matter of fact, the Bible says that Jesus fulfilled the law. And how did he fulfill the law? By the incredibleness of his love, by the greatness of his love. You know, Joseph told me the other day that, that uh, I used the word incredible wrong. <laughs> and I, I think it's because uh, he, he told me because it's, it's supposed to mean that something is, can happen, right? And see, I look at it as is, it's so incredible like it, it shouldn't happen, but it is. I mean, it's so great that it's not even credible. <laughs> That's, so when I say incredible, I mean awesome or great. In case anybody's ever been confused. But his great love, he died for us, he paid the penalty. And he laid down his life for us. You know, we're going to read later that there's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friend. It was... It was Jesus' love for his neighbor that fulfilled the law for us. He paid the price for us. And like I said, we'll definitely notice that nowhere in there does it give us a commandment to love ourselves. Because like I said, we don't need a command to love ourselves. But secondly, it's because love for others is so much greater than having love for yourself. And like I said, in my life, I've, I've begun to recognize that it even fulfills me more. It makes me happier. It gives me joy to love others. Whereas loving myself never does that. It just leaves me wanting more, looking out for number one. We'll go on to John 21, 15 through 17. We'll, we'll see an example of this. It's when, you know, the story where Peter is speaking to Jesus after he had denied him three times, and he's given the opportunity to reaffirm his love three times. In John 21, 15 through 17, it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. And then he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. Then he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Like I said, Peter publicly denied Jesus three times. And he was given the opportunity to publicly reaffirm his love for Jesus three times. He was given the opportunity to basically confess that sin and say, no, Lord, I do love you. But then Jesus there's another part to it too because Jesus asked him three times if you love me and, and, and Peter says yes. But what does Jesus say after that? He doesn't say that's good or I'm glad to hear it. 
He says, feed my sheep, feed my lambs, tend my sheep. It's because you can see love expressed. He said, Peter, if that's the case, if you love me with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, then you're going to love your neighbor, my sheep. You're going to tend them. You're, you're going to love them. He says, basically, love me, love my sheep. And it sounds an awful lot like love God and love your neighbor. We see it in practice in Jesus. In 1 John 4, 7-8, through 8, we find out that love is from God. John says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And who, anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So why should we love one another? Because love is from God, and God lives inside of you. He loves you freely, therefore we should freely love. See, love is so much of a defining mark of being a born-again Christian that it should be our calling card. It's like our credentials. When someone's like, are you a Christian? Like, didn't you see my love? I mean, that, that should have proved to you that, I'm a, that I love God. I'm born again. If you know God and you're born again, then, then that's a natural result is that you love people. And the opposite is true. is If you don't love, then you don't know God. Because God is love. You see, because God is love, and when he lives inside the born-again believer, that Christian, the born-again believer, is going to naturally love others. Because the love of God inside of them, the byproduct of the love of God inside of them, is going to, to overflow into others. When you get saved, you are radically and supernaturally transformed on the inside. And as a result, you will begin to love others. Even if that wasn't your personality before, even if you were unloving and unlovely before, when you get born again, the natural change that happens inside of you causes you to love others, to have a heart for others. In Galatians 5.22, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. The fruit of the Spirit is love. Because he lives inside of you, it will produce fruit. If God lives inside of you, that's the natural result. There's a story of a, of a, a large quantity of radioactive material being stolen from a hospital. And when the hospital, uh, the administrator, he noticed it, he, he called the police. And he said, please warn the thief that carrying, that is carrying death with him. The radioactive, the radioactive material, it can't be successfully hidden. And as long as it is in his possession, it is affecting him disastrously. You see, the love of God is kind of like that, except for the disastrously part. His love doesn't affect you disastrously. It affects you wonderfully. As long as you're carrying that inside of you, just like that radioactive material, it can't be hidden. If it's inside of you, it's affecting you. It's causing change. It's causing it to flow out of you into others. And if you abide in Him, and He in you, there's nothing you can do. You can't hide it. If He's really living inside of you, the reason why it says that if anyone does not love, he does not know God, is because if God was actually in there, He would love. If God was actually in there, He would love. There's, there's, no, there's no choice. There's no, it, it affects you because he's inside of you and it overflows into you. 
Now, I'm not saying that as soon as you get saved, you're going to be perfect and loving, but a change will begin to happen. And if you know God and are born from Him, you will love. No two, no two ways about it. He will begin to change you. In 1 John 4, 9-11, through 11, it says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. And He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, what? We also ought to love one another. You see, God's love was manifested in His Son. It was not just a, a pretty postcard or, or something you would sew on a pillow. You know, God is love. Isn't this nice? All hand-embroidered. You know, this, this cliche phrase, God is love, has been used to excuse all kinds of immoral behavior. You see people out there trying to excuse their sin, saying, no, God is love. I can do whatever I want because He still loves me. And I thank God that no matter what you're doing, God still loves you. But that doesn't excuse what you're doing. Matter of fact, like I said earlier, when the love of God comes into your life, He takes you as you are, but it affects change in your life. You see, when God said He loved us, He didn't just say it, but there was evidence, there was action. He sent His Son to prove it. He sent His Son to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins. You guys recognize that that's for our sins? It weren't Jesus' sins that he was paying the penalty for. He lived sinless life. If he didn't want to, he didn't have to go to that cross. But it was our sins that he died for. In Romans 5.8 it says, But God shows his love for us, and while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so this is not that we would just be free from death, but free to live through Him. It says that God sent His only Son into this world so that we might live through Him. In Ephesians 2.1, it says, You were dead in your trespasses and sin. Before Jesus, you were dead. Dead men walking. But He, he sent His Son. He expressed His love in such a way that we could live again. And the great... The, the, the great thing to understand about this, the, the incredible, is this the, right, the incredible thing? Would this be the right place to use that word? The incredible thing, the hard thing to believe, is that he didn't do this because we loved him. He did it because he loved us. Because before Jesus, we didn't love God. The Bible says that we were enemies of God, that we were hostile towards Him. In Colossians 1.21 it says, And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. We were hostile towards God before Jesus came into your life. In Romans 5.10 it says, For if while we were enemies, enemies of God, for if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled we will be saved by His life. You see, we didn't love God before Jesus came into the picture. We hated Him. We were hostile toward Him. We were His enemy. So He didn't do it. He didn't say, man, they love me so much, I really want to do something nice for them. He did it because of His love for us. John 3.16 
I hate that this verse is so trite because it's so powerful. People throw it around without really taking a look at what John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That's an incredible amount of love. Because I, I imagine, could I give my son? I'd like to say I could. It's easy to say I could without being asked. But that's, it, it causes me pain to even think about that. And God did it for us. And if God loved us so much, that much, how can we have any other response than to love back in return? When you're filled with that much love, when you, when you receive that much love, how can you not do anything else but love in return? It says, Beloved, if God loved, if so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And then continuing on in 1 John in chapter 4, verses 12 through 14, it says, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. You see, while none of us has physically seen God, we can see Him in others if, they're, if they are loving others. That is our, our, our witness. Our love towards others is, is the visible evidence of God to those who are receiving that love who can't physically see Him. But our, our love is evidence to them. It says that if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. And we become the evidence for others. We see and testify of God by demonstrating love. You know, and it's one thing to tell people of the love of God. It's easy to say, oh, God loves you. But it's completely another to show it. In 1 John 3, 17-18, it says, But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? You know, that's like going up to somebody and saying, you know, they're, they're hurting, they need food, they need something, and just going... God loves you and walking away. Instead of feeding them, taking, expressing, you know, God loves you and let me show you that He loves you. The work that they're doing in, in Iraq to the Muslim widows over there, they're saying, God loves you and let me show you. Let me build you a house. Let me put your children through school. That's expressing God's love. You see, the Pharisees kind of had a similar problem. In Luke eleven forty two, 42, it says, But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue in every herb, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You ought to have done one without neglecting the other. You see, that was their problem. They looked good on the outside. They, they told people about God's love and they, they did all the right things on the outside, but they neglected His love in practice. You know, they, they, would, they would do stuff to look good on the outside, but when people in need came up to them, they would, they would push them off. They would push them away. That's not what we're called to do, beloved. We're called to love people in word and in action. In 1 John 4, 14-18, it says, We have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So we have come to know and believe that the love that God has for us, God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. By this His love is perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as He is, so also are we in this world. 
There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. It says that we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. We, we see it in others, and ourselves showing love testifies to others that God has come. I know my life testifies because if you knew me before Jesus, you'd notice some things have changed. How do you know, how do you know there's a God? Well, if you saw me some time ago, you would know there was a God because you would see the work that He's done in my heart. And you see, it's faith that invites Jesus into your heart. Confessing and believing that He is your Savior. He says, we have we've seen and testify. Like I said, we're testi- testifying that He is here. It says, whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and Him and God. It's that simple. Faith is what invites Jesus into your heart. Confessing and believing that He is your Lord and Savior. And because of that, He abides in us. And we in Him, we can have confidence... And this knowing that He is our Savior. How many know it's, it's good to have confidence that you're saved? <clears throat> it says, by this is love perfected with us. That what that we believe the love that God has for us, God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. And because of this, because we abide in Him and He abides in us, we can have confidence for the day of judgment. Because why? Because as He is, so also are we in this world. How is Jesus? Jesus is sinless. Jesus was perfect. Jesus was holy. Jesus was loving. Jesus was compassionate. Jesus was kind. As He is, so also are we in this world. And then it says there's no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. There was once a, a Roman captain on a ship, traveling with his family across the seas, and a storm comes in, and the storm is incredibly intense. And his wife and his children are starting to get scared, and they're, they're afraid, and, and this Roman soldier is keeping calm and collected. And the storm keeps getting worse and worse, and finally his, his wife is starting to get upset. She's like, don't you see that we're about to perish? The storm is about to topple us. And she's getting upset with her husband because he's continuing to stay calm. And he's not getting upset. He's not, she's like, aren't you worried about us? Don't you love us? Don't you, don't you care? Why aren't you upset? Look what's happening. And he finally gets upset and he pulls out his sword and he sticks it to her chest, the tip of it right at her heart. And he says to her, are you afraid of this sword? And she goes, no, not when it's in the hand of one who loves me. And he says, well, then why do you expect me to be afraid of this storm when it's in the hand of a God who loves me? You see, perfect love casts out fear. Because you know that people who love you, if you know that they love you, you know that they're not going to hurt you. When we recognize the love of, of God that He has for us, and that He lives inside of us, and that He sent His Son to die for us, then we can stand on the day of judgment with confidence because He loves us, and He paid the penalty for us. And we don't have to be living in fear of punishment because His love was perfected inside of us. His Son died for us. His love was so great that the penalty is taken care of. 
you know, if we're afraid of that day, the truth is, it's because we're worried about that punishment. We're worried about what's going to happen when I die. If we're afraid, if we're not sure where we're going, it's because there's part of us that doesn't yet comprehend the greatness of His love. And we don't comprehend what it accomplished inside of us. Continuing on, he says in 1 John 4, 19-21, it says, We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God, must also love his brother. Like I said, the natural result of his great love for us is to love others. And I like what it says here, because he says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. And it's, he's lying about one or the other. He's either lying about hating his brother, or he's lying about loving God, but either way, he's a liar. Because if he loves God and he says he hates his brother, if the love of God is true, then he can't hate his brother. So he's lying about that. Or the opposite is true, if he hates his brother he actually hates his brother, then he, he can't love God because if he loved God, God would live in him and it would change the way he feels for others. Then he goes on to say, how can you love God who you have not seen if you cannot even love someone that you have? The truth is that if you, if you love your brother, you begin to see God in the love that you have for others. That's how we see God is, is, is in our love for others. Like I said earlier, we read that we testify of God in our love. But if we don't love our brother, how can we see that? How can we see that? How can we testify of God in our love if we don't love? And then, like I've titled this message, he says, and this is the, the good suggestion that we have from him. It's not a good suggestion, folks, it's a commandment. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. And this is directly from the mouth of Jesus. If we look in John 15, 12 through 14, this is where uh, John was getting it from. He says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. This is Jesus speaking. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. See, the last verse is referring to what Jesus said. My commandment is that you love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus says, you are my friend if you do what I command you. And what did he just command us? To love our brothers. You know, we're a friend of God when we love our brothers. And, it's, and we're not talking about the love of this world, but we're talking about the same kind of love that Jesus had. He said, what no greater love is the one than this than to lay down their life for somebody. That's the greatest love that you can express. Do we love our, our neighbors? Do we love our friends? Do we love our brethren with that kind of love? Are we willing to lay down the life for, our life for somebody else? See, that's real love. It's putting others ahead of yourselves. Not just when it's convenient for you. Not when, when if by, by loving somebody where everybody can see that'll look really good on me. Look how loving, hey everybody, look how loving I am. Look how loving I am. But no, it's, it's actually putting people ahead of you. So the question is, who can love like this? And I want you to know that on your own, you can't. 
The Bible says that we love because He first loved us. The only way that you can love like Jesus is to, is to be saved, is with Jesus in your heart. If He abides in you and you abide in Him, then you can finally love like Jesus. So now that we understand that we're to love, I think we can all agree that if we look through the Scriptures that it's not just a good idea that we love, but it's a, a commandment that we love. And it's a natural result of, the, of the, the, the life change that happens inside of us when Jesus comes into your heart. So we know that we are to love. So what does that look like? In 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3, it says, If I speak in the tongues of men... Someone's buying us pizza? Sorry. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 13, 1-3, says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong, or a clanging cymbal, or a cell phone going off and serve... Oh, no. <laughs> Just kidding. And if I have a prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, it's like for me to talk, my house phone went off in the beginning, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, too bad. Having a pizza party later, apparently. Curse, courtesy of the pastor and whoever's phone that was. <laughs> and if I have prophetic, verse 2 says, and if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. See, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it's referred to as the love chapter because Paul goes into in-depth as to what, what love is. And we find that love validates everything that we do as believers. Without love, whatever we do is nothing. No matter how accomplished you are, how spiritual you are, or become, without love it means nothing. You can know the Bible better than anybody and know all the scriptures and know how to put it in place into life, but if you don't have love, then you have nothing. Even if you give up everything, you act completely sacrificial, without love, it's nothing. And Paul's referring to real love, biblical love. Love is a response to Christ's love for us. Not love that is manipulative, that is self-serving, or has ulterior motives. You see, that's the problem, I think, with, with people today, is we, we say we're acting in love, we say we love stuff, but our love is completely selfish. Like, how can that make any sense? How can love be selfish? But we act that way when we, we do stuff for others, not so much for what it'll do for them, but for what it'll do for us. You know, it's not solely for the other person. We say, what will this get me? What will this do for me if I do something for them? Like, man, if I, if, I, if I buy my kids gifts, that'll show them I love them. If I buy my kids gifts, what will that do for me? Will they like me more? I mean, we see that a lot in today's society, right? We have a bunch of parents that all they want to do is be friends with their kids, so they give them the whole world. Because they're the, the cool parents. They're the loving parents. They're the... But they're doing it for themselves, so they'll have kids that are loving them, so they can be known as the cool parents. That's not love. That's selfish. What if I, if I rub my wife's feet? What do I get out of that? Will she give me a back rub? If I, I mean, that's, that's, not, that's not love. That's just, what, what is it going to do for us? 
says even the most sacrificial things. He says right here, if I deliver up my body to be burned and give away all that I have, even the most sacrificial things without love is nothing. It means nothing. Love validates everything that we do. Real biblical love, not worldly love, validates every single thing that we do. 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, I've entitled this little slide, Love Is, because it begins to talk about what love actually is. It says that love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. This is what biblical love looks like. You see, love is patient. It doesn't, it doesn't snap. It doesn't throw people to the, to the side or out of the way if they're not moving fast enough. They're not keeping up. But real love is patient. It's kind. It's encouraging. It lifts people up. It takes care of others. It doesn't envy. Because if you love somebody, you don't envy what they have. Rather, you rejoice with them with what they have. It doesn't boast. If you love somebody, you don't gloat over all the stuff that you have and boast at how good they, you have it when they're, they're lacking or they're not having something in that area. It's not arrogant. It's humble. Like I said, it's, it's not rude, but it's actually love is uplifting. When you're operating in, in love, you're not rude or, or mean to people, but you're, you're lifting them up. Love doesn't get irritated at others, and it's not resentful of others for any reason, but it's patient with them and understanding with them. I mean, if anybody has a reason to be resentful with people, it's God. Just take a look at your life and go, yeah, he has, he has cause to be resentful, but his love doesn't get irritated with us. It says love does not rejoice at wrongdoing. You know, we shouldn't rejoice when, when, we, when other people get theirs. You know, when someone gets hurt, love doesn't rejoice because we think they, they deserve it. But we still feel their pain. Love rejoices with the truth. You know, love rejoices that Jesus died for all and all can come to salvation. I'll often ask people, do you think that Hitler could be saved? And people are always like, Oh no, look at the stuff he did. He was so terrible. You know, just they and yeah, on the outside looking, if you just look at the stuff he did, then yeah, in and of himself he can't be. But God loved Hitler just as much as he loved everybody else. And if Hitler would have given his life to the Lord, no matter what he had done, he would be accepted. And I can prove it because Paul was basically enacting the, the, the Jewish or the, the Christian Holocaust at the time. Paul was killing Christians left and right and Paul's life was turned around and, and he was turned around so powerfully so by the love of God that he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. It says love bears and endures all things. You know, love will take the, the weight of somebody else's world on its own shoulders. If you love somebody, you'll be there for them. You'll lift them up. You'll encourage them. And it'll endure. See, this is one that's... that's it's, it's easy to love somebody when things are going well, but when things are tough, love endures. Love, love presses on. Love keeps going even when, when you don't want to. 
And then it says, love believes and hopes as well. You see, love causes you to believe in somebody even when it seems like there's no reason that you should. On the outside, it looks like there's no reason you should believe in them or, or hope for them turning around. It allows you to have hope because you had that same hope in your shortcomings. You look at your life, you look at your failures, and you're like, if God can do a work in me, then God can do a work in them. And I can believe in them, and I can have hope for them, not in and of their own doing, but because of what Christ did in them. And that's love being expressed towards them. In 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12, it says that love never ends. It says, as for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. You know, when Jesus comes back, when he comes back in his power and glory and he calls us up to heaven, we're not going to need the power of the Holy Spirit anymore. Because you don't need victory in heaven because there's no opposition. We've already won. There's no more victory. We don't need healing in heaven because there's no sickness. You know, tongues, prophecy, revelation, they're not going to be needed in heaven because we'll have full revelation of heaven. In heaven, we'll have full revelation. The, the gifts of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, we're not going to need it in heaven. And it says, Paul says, you know, that stuff's going to be done away with. We need it here. We need that power here on earth. And it's for the equipping of the saints. It's, we're given power to be witnesses in, in, uh, in the world, right? It's what the Bible says. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and, and you will receive power to be witnesses. But when Jesus comes back, they're all going to be done away with. We don't need them anymore. But you know what keeps on going? You know what is in heaven? Love. Love never ends. We're still going to be loving in heaven. Love will continue on through eternity. And we'll end on, on this verse. 1 Corinthians 13.13 13 says, Now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. He doesn't say the greatest of these is love, so don't worry about the other two. No, we're still supposed to abide in faith and we're supposed to abide in hope. But he says the greatest of these is love. And we abide in love as the natural response of the greatness of the love shown to us by God and His Son. And we found earlier that abiding in love, loving your God and loving your neighbor, abiding in love is, is the greatest of the commandments. When we ask, what should we be doing as Christians? What should Christians look like? This is it. Love. Love encompasses it all. If we would love wholeheartedly and not compromise in any, any way, but just love people, we would see amazing things. If we would and not look at them based on what they're wearing or where they're from or what they did, what part of town they're from, man, woman, rich, poor, any of those things. But if we would just look at them with the same love that, that God looks at them, I think we would see incredible revival. If we would take every opportunity to show love, every opportunity to express the love of God, that we would be able to testify and be a, a witness of Him because of our actions. 
I think we'd see incredible things. He says, faith is good and hope is good, but love is better. Amen? So let's just go ahead and uh, let's resolve to be loving. Not be so concerned on that other people are loving us. That's the biggest mistake we can have is, oh, pastor, if, if they would love me, then I would love them. But let's love them first, no matter what. And even when they're, and even when they're not loving back, even when they're slinging insults because you're a Christian or doing all those things, love endures all things and it continues to hope and it continues to believe. So let's, let's resolve to live in love. Let love guide everything that we do. Let love guide our every decision, our every action. Let's let the love of Christ shine through us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and uh, stand to our feet.